0: Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the psychological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. thrive. and about how to drive profitable revenue through the Affiliate Channel. Hello and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Birch. Welcome to the show. I'm also the founder of J.E.B. Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. And today I have someone near and dear to me, a good friend for over a decade who's been in the space in a lot of different ways. Uh, Nick Marchesi, we met when during his tenure at ShareAcel and have become good friends ever since. So, before we get into what that conversation is, just want to let you know if you're trying to figure out your best strategy for 2023 and beyond, in your affiliate program, how to manage that with all your other channels, how to get more mass media publishers. We actually talk about that today. Get more incremental, how to deal with top of funnel, bottom of funnel, any of those things about your affiliate program. If you need help, we're the team to help you. Just contact us at gethelp@jbcommerce.com. We'll set up a free half hour consultation and go over what your needs are, what issues you're having, and how we could help you solve those. And you can email us with any questions you have at gethelp@jbcommerce.com, and we'll answer that. Sometimes we turn those into podcast episodes themselves. Now, Nick and I go back at least 10 years maybe maybe longer. I don't actually remember when we first met, but we go back quite a ways. Nick has been on the network side, ShareASale, Rakuten. He's been on the agency side, And he's been on the publisher side and the mass media side. And that experience, the vast difference and unique experiences really lends to a phenomenal conversation, puts Nick in a position uh, different than most of his peers. And he's worked in so many different areas. We talk about all of that today and more. So please tune in, continue listening and enjoy the conversation with me and Nick Marquezzi. Oh boy, here <laughs> we go. It is the fabulous Nick Marchezzi, the indomitable, the oh, famous. Wow. How do you want to be intro to our podcast today,
1: Nick? I this is honestly something that I wasn't prepared for. You're throwing me you're throwing me off, but if I could I'll just reference my list here really quickly of adjectives <laughs> that I like to use to describe me. I, I don't know. I, I how about this? Your good old friend Nick Marchese who you've known for, I don't know, 10 years now, longer? At least,
0: at least. Let's and at the very days. least,
1: it seems like a lot longer. Like they say, fun, like yes. the time flies when you're having fun. It seems like it's been about 40, 40 years.
0: Yeah, forever. It's really dry. It's been That's miserable true. the
1: whole time. That's true. Every-
0: Everyone, welcome my good old buddy of 40 years, <laughs> Nick Marchese, to the Profitable <laughs> Performance Marketing Podcast. How's it going, man?
1: I am fantastic, Jamie. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing good. We are trying to pack in all the back-to-school stuff in eight hours. That's where I'm at. It's ninth. We decided to pack our summer as tightly with exciting things as you can possibly imagine. We have three days here at the house before we leave again for our last preschool trip. Oh, my God. And so we pretty much have this afternoon, which my wife is already (laughs) with the kids to do all the back to school shopping and do all the things. I will join her shortly after we're done with recording to help. But because we do not as a family know how to sit still to, well, to just sit. We don't know how to do that. This is how it happens. So yeah, that's why we're trying to fit it in eight hours.
1: That's a good problem to have, right? Otherwise, it's very easy to fall into that trap where you're the family that sits on the couch and watches Matlock throughout the summer.
0: True. I'm more of a murder she wrote kind of guy. But yeah, I get your analogy. Yeah. We've tried it, man. We have. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I had to go back to the, the Nick at Night sort of stuff. Is that what that is? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, everybody. Yeah, we've tried to sit still and not do a whole lot, and it's just not who we are. We get about a day and a half, and we're just like, God, oh, we got to go do something. So that's what we're trying to do. Now, are your kids, are they there yet? Is it back to school? Is it the craziness?
1: Yeah, so we, I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Six-year-old started first grade last Wednesday. And we are not quite as jam-packed as you are. So we had some time to prepare for this. Actually, I should rewind that a little bit and say that my wife had time to do this. And actually, she (laughs) didn't have time to do it, but she still did it. That's how fantastic she is. Yeah, she is. No, she got all all the back-to-shopping done maybe with a day in advance. So more than ample time. As long as it's not late, it doesn't really matter. So he started his first grade on... Wednesday of last week. And then our two-year-old Parker started, or he's been in daycare and he doesn't get a summer break. He's too young for, he hasn't earned his breaks yet. So yeah, he's got to put in his time year round. Yeah, he does. He hasn't started paying even like property taxes yet or like contributing around the house. We, when he does, we'll give him a summer off.
0: Yeah. He's two years old. Do you think it's time? I do. I think it's past I mean, time actually. I think we're both working by the time we were two and a half, right? And supporting our Oh, I mean,
1: yes. But more importantly, I was also working when he was two and when he was one. And if I was working, he should be working. It's just logic. That's
0: that's how it should work. Yeah. (laughs) Man, I'm excited to talk to you today. We always have good conversations regardless of what is going on, but I'm excited to learn some things that I probably don't know. So tell me, how did you get to affiliate marketing. You've been in the space for a long time. So if our listeners don't know, you and I met when you were at ShareSale. I've had you over to my house. You've ridden a horse at the, I've ridden your uh, the horse. Birch Ranch. one of your horses. Yep. And ate my wife's amazing, I think they were she made tacos that tacos. night. They were Yes, oh, they were awesome. so good. So you've worked at ShareSell. You've you've been on the network side. You've been on the agency side. You've been on the affiliate side, and you have your own web property going. So tell us. I want to know how the heck did you find affiliate marketing? What's your origin story, man?
1: So uh, I won't go into all the nitty gritty, but. I'll, I'll We're not on tape
0: anymore, so it's not like you have to worry about oh. the tape running out. Just oh, go thank it. God. Okay, great. Yeah, no, this is wonderful then.
1: Okay, so I, uh, I had graduated college in 2009 and it was like recession, couldn't find the job for anything. And I landed this job that was, for lack of a better term, akin to a boiler room where you're, I'm handed a phone book and they said, here's your lead list. And I went to go start emailing the companies or researching the companies. And they said, no computers, here's a pencil and a note card and a pencil so that you can erase the contacts when they change or make updates or make changes. It's crazy. And the best part is straight commission. So I was like, I need something. I'm going to make this work. And it, I did. I actually made it work really well. But I prior to that, I was at Loyola and I had this this professor at the time who was just super cool, super super informative, and made the learning process of e-commerce marketing very tangible and very realistic and very humbling. And I remember in one of the classes, she showed a picture because she was teaching at Loyola, but she was also working full-time at this marketing or technology company. I didn't really know what it was, Uh, but she showed a picture of the office one time, and they were playing cornhole in the office. And that, believe it or not, shifted my career. Uh, seeing that picture. Cornhole. At the time, I'm like, okay, yeah. So I graduate college, I go get a job where I have to wear a suit every day and I'll have a briefcase. And like, that's what I thought the world was. Then I see this picture of people playing cornhole in an office. And I'm like, there is a God. I know exactly <laughs> where I'm going to go, what I'm going to be doing with the rest of my life. And it is going to be playing cornhole in an office in shorts and a t shirt. I. Didn't right away because I graduated college in the recession, and got that job selling credit card processing, actually. And the reason that's important wow. is because I remember that professor who, her name is Carolyn Tang Komet. I remember her- Good mutual friend of both of ours. She's fantastic. She's a true mentor to myself, to the industry, and just wonderful all around. And if you're watching this, Carolyn, I will uh, send you my address and my direct deposit account number so that you can mail me your check. <laughs> I ended up calling on her at one point in time because I'm like, hey, credit card processing. I'm sure that her company takes credit cards and let's call them up and see if I can get them as a business. And it didn't work out. Just, I don't think she actually understood what I was trying to do. And, and I wasn't going to push it because she's Carolyn. And then about two months later, I was going to bad place at work and I didn't really like what was going on there. And she reaches out to me while I'm on vacation and she goes, Hey, we're looking for, we're looking to fill a role here as a salesperson. Would you be interested? And I'm like, okay, everything is aligning. I'm not happy at work. Uh, I'm on vacation and I'm playing cornhole. Quite literally, I was playing cornhole when I got the email on my phone. And I'm like, this is it i took a break from the vacation to go interview with the director of sales at the time and i walked out of that interview and called my company up that i was working at and gave them my notice i didn't have an offer i didn't at that point in time i didn't have an offer i hadn't met with anyone else at the company but i was just so confident that this was my future that i was like i'm done i'm starting my new chapter now and maybe a week later, I met with. So that was David Zelkin. A week later, I met with Brian Littleton, and who was the founder and CEO of Sharesell at the time. And we went out to lunch, had a great conversation. We talked about just the, the intricacies of marketing and technology and what we think I think the future of it is. It turns out it was way off, but didn't matter. So I got the job. I remember he asked me at one point in time. He goes, "All right," or I asked him. I'm like, "When do you look to have this role filled?" And he goes, "I don't know, to maybe 3 months <laughs> and i had already
0: quit my job <laughs> and he said <laughs> like, you broke up a little bit was that 2 or 3 months yes 2 or 3 months yes oh so, you you had been unemployed now for a couple days exactly and i'm like
1: so i just resp- i was very candid with him i'm like i can start monday <laughs> and he said <laughs> okay <laughs> I started the following Monday, maybe it was the Monday after that, but it was really like far sooner than the two to three months that he had initially forecasted. Yeah. And so it was a really good time. I started off in sales there and just learned the ropes from him and from David. Carolyn ditched me after about a month there to move on with her career. She basically conned me into the space and then, and then left. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't have any better- It's good to have friends, friends like that. Whatsoever.
0: Totally yeah. well, she saw career, your affinity kidding. for Cornhole- You were it just fit now. Walk me through. I always look back at some of the decisions I made in my career and I'm like, I would never thought of myself as real courageous and risky. But I look back and I have to rethink that that view of myself. So yeah, when you quit your job before you were (laughs) finished with the interview process, walk me through how did you make that decision? What were you thinking? What went into oh I I want to be in this space. I want this job, and and I quit.
1: Honestly, I don't know if there was a rhyme or a reason to it. It was the meeting with David, the director of sales at the time. It was just so perfect. It was a perfect interview. Everything, every aspect of it, felt right. The job I was at, it was going through a lot of changes, a lot of uncertainty, and I just I had an all around bad feeling about the direction that the company was going and that my role was going. And I was leading it really nice team at that time. But it just, something was off and it was enough to make me not hesitate when I walked out of the meeting with David. And the meeting, by the way, wasn't in the office. It was at a a hotel lobby slash Starbucks. So everything, again, it just jived so well because it wasn't super buttoned up. It was very casual, very laid back. And we just, in, we just enjoyed each other's conversations. And he taught me a little bit about affiliate marketing that I knew already. And just it seemed so natural and so right that I just, I had so much confidence in it that I was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this regardless. I will work at ShareASale one day. And whether or not they know it, I will work there. That's
0: fantastic. That's great. I know when I started the job that I took right out of college, there was a similar aspect to it in that they had a gym in the office. They had a masseuse that came on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And every day at four o'clock, dinner and stuff was delivered. And I'm like, and this is at the tail end of the dot-com boom. So I was like, this is fantastic. And then for the rest of my career, that's what I chased. I was like, where's the masseuse? Why don't we have Tuesday massages here? What a letdown, right? What a way
1: to build up your expectations of what a working environment should be. And then the rest of it is just downhill. After that, I'm kidding. I'm kidding (laughs) to all you young people. It can be whatever you make it.
0: (laughs) Bring the energy you want from your employer. Now, bring your own masseuse. Bring bring your own masseuse. Could be awkward, but yeah. So (laughs) this was your first like introduction to affiliate. What was the learning curve like? What what did you really like? I share sales always been one of my favorites. I had the. Good fortune to work with Carolyn, David and Brian and, and you and many others. And I always felt like our organizations vibed together quite well, very similar culture and things like that. What was the learning curve like to get up to speed? How long did it take to where, cause you're in a sales role. So you're, you've got to be able to talk to the client, the prospects, bring them on board. How long did that take being like the first entrance?
1: Surprisingly, not long at all. I think I got my first like small sale within a week or two, and part of that was I, I've never once in my life said that I'm uh, this amazing salesperson. I don't think that I am. I think that the, if it's a good product or a good service or good ethics or good integrity, whatever it may be, it sells itself, and then the salespeople just talk about it. and And, and I think that is just how it operates. And that's share sale had all of the all of the above, and uh, at the time. It had this wild, innovative technology that had basically been unheard of before. And it was called, quote, real-time tracking and reporting. <laughs> that what? was my sales pitch. <laughs> that was my sales pitch. You can see the moment an affiliate refers a sale to you. You can find it in the dashboard, and you can do whatever you want with it. If you want to make that commission more, you can. If you want to make it less, it's yours. It's yours you want to delete that commission don't do that but you can do that and so yeah it was such an easy sell though because out of gates i was passionate about the company having a chance to meet with more of the team now i could see that the the business ethics that went into share a sale were exactly what i aligned with and so being passionate about that company out of the gates just based on the ethics was an easy an easy talking point but then the first i think two the first week. David sat me down and he is—he was really busy. We were all getting ready or everyone was getting ready for uh, Flight Summit East at the time. And he didn't have time to really train me because again, they were trying to hire me in two to three months and I bullied my <laughs> way into the next week. And so he is here. Just log into the affiliate platform and, and just play around and explore it. And that was my sales or that was my training rather was log in, wow. learn the platform and then here's the phone. <laughs>
0: Wow. Then now did you have to right. cultivate your own leads and everything?
1: Not at first. Actually, the demand at ShareSale was so high that the overwhelming majority of my time there was not it was being responsive and reactive to incoming leads and I think I, I don't remember what the exact number was, but at one point in time the the demand was so high or the interest was so high I should say that I was turning down like something like 45% of all business that was coming to it, all, all prospect that was coming to us. Or the prospects wow. that were coming to us, rather. Just because it was, we didn't have the bandwidth to take on everyone. We didn't want to take on everyone. But also, again, speaking to the ethics that, that ShareAsale and that Brian and the team had, we didn't want to be selling the dream to people whose dreams we couldn't fulfill. If yeah. you start mm-hmm. up, uh, a used shoe business that is used and come to ShareAsale, part of my job was to vet right out of the gates if you had any viability to perform well in the affiliate space. And so someone like that, which was a real business, maybe not that domain, but that was a real thing. It it was not selling. Again, it was just talking to the people, to the business owners, explaining to them what works, what doesn't work, why they shouldn't be doing this, and more so when they should be coming back to us and setting those metrics for them. So advising them from a business perspective on when they should be tapping into the semi-expensive marketing channel.
0: It's very interesting, and and then so you were there for a long time. That's where we met, and we worked together uh, quite a bit during that time. But that was four years ago. So tell me about wow. you, you. You moved on. Isn't that crazy? It's been yeah, yeah, four years, almost five. So what's been your path since then? So it's been an adventure at ShareSale I moved up through the ranks and was
1: privileged enough and honored enough to, or, or they honored me, I should say, with the ability to oversee the client success team, which was agency relationships, advertiser development, publisher development, technical support, and phone support. And that I did that for about a year and a half at sale And it was one of the most challenging aspects of my career because it was all so new to me. I had gone for eight years selling the service, but never having to necessarily fulfill it. With the exception of agencies, yeah. but at that point in time, we looked at agencies just as a satellite sales office, or satellite sales team, rather. So it was more so just making sure the sales teams were taken care of. But now having to fulfill the service that I've been selling was its just a, a completely different mind shift. And at the time, AWIN had acquired ShareASale too. So it was a lot of change all at once. And candidly, that year and a half burned me out. It burned me out so quickly that I needed to take a break. I needed to take a break from that role and from that responsibility just for my own mental health. So I got extremely lucky and Rakuten Advertising brought me on board as an enterprise sales rep and it was selling primarily to travel advertisers with some finance and technology brands sprinkled in there as well. That I learned so much that I had no idea even existed to me. The affiliate world before was content publishers are what makes it. And then there's this sporadic fat wallet at the time and stuff like that. And that was the world of affiliate marketing and everything outside of that. I had a, a jaded perspective on. And at Rakuten, I, I learned very quickly that everything that I knew was just the tip of the iceberg for performance marketing wow. and that you can run display. You can run programmatic. You can run retargeting. You can run every aspect of marketing, theoretically, through the affiliate channel if it's done right. Now It just becomes a matter of attribution at that point in time. I got lucky at that point in time to realize how little I knew and was quickly humbled. I also was in a precarious uh, situation because while I was focusing so heavily on the travel industry, this little hmm. thing that I think most of us are somewhat familiar with called COVID happened. And it's as you bell. might imagine, it's basically it's a it's a website that you've probably
0: heard of. Um, I hear it was really big in the Midwest. <laughs> very popular. Open for Southeast. Foo Fighters. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it did. It was the warm up to the openers for the Foo Fighters, but same thing nonetheless. <laughs> now I, I was on the the team that focused on travel advertisers, and not too much travel was taking place during COVID. And yeah. It, it, was that was a tough, quite time. a shock. It, it was, and and honestly, until that point in my career, I'd never had to struggle for getting a sale or for getting business. But when COVID first hit, we're like, oh, this is just going to be two weeks. Oh, it's just going to be three weeks. Okay, it's going to be a month.
0: Yeah, two, two weeks to flatten the curve. I remember yep.
1: that. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And I remember sending crafting up these perfect emails that were, "Look, the travel's in chaos now, but as we all know." In a month and a half, everyone's gonna be back to them their normal selves. And I think the the integers were correct, but the decimal was off. It wasn't two months; bit, it was yeah. two years. Yeah, yeah,
0: just a little Racket bit. It,
1: just a little bit. Racketton did a fantastic job of trying to, to keep as many folks on board as they could and shift our focus from travel to a little bit more on the finance on the tech team or on the tech side. But at that point in time, it, money there's overhead. There's overhead to maintain and there was- Everyone had to make tough better. calls. Yeah. Everyone did. Every single company did. And it's never fun to do that. And I actually, I have a lot of respect for the way they handled it, but I was part of a group of folks that got laid off and put into a nice temporary retirement. And it was nice because I then got to start, as you mentioned, my web app that I kind of had been passionate about for a couple of years before had been working so much that I wasn't really able to do anything with it. I used that downtime to refocus myself and get into what I was passionate about again. And I've been tinkering around with it since.
0: And since then, you've been on the agency side and you've actually been at one of the larger media publishers and been doing a lot. So you have a really unique perspective that not many people have, being on almost every side, every facet of this industry. I want to dive into when you were burnt out and you made the decision to, I need to do something else with my career. I And I think we're similar in this. Tenacious as hell. We'll try to make it work. I know in my life, I've had people have to tell me, hey, you're done, man. Like. (laughs) Game's over. No one's in the stands. You're still swinging and it's over. It's time to go. Like I, That's a problem I have is I don't know when uh, to quit. What resources did you have if someone's in there listening and they're thinking of that? How'd you recognize it or you just knew? And was it conversations at home? Was it family? Was it your mentor? How did you figure out to leave and move on? What was that process like? Yeah. It was
1: a lot. I think at first it started, the stress started to manifest physically. I was getting sick more. I was tired more. And it was just jarring because I I like to think that I'm relatively young. I'm not old per se, at least in my perspective. At the time I was even even younger, obviously. So getting sick to the way that I was just at the same time, I had a, I want to say he was at this point mid time, year and a half old son and i was getting home from work at seven and for anyone out there who has a one-year-old at seven o'clock for a one-year-old that's like bedtime And, and and i was leaving before he was waking up i was leaving before he was waking up i was coming home right when he was going to bed so i was seeing my son for maybe 30 minutes a day and that 30 minutes was a stretch because we were forcing him to stay awake so that I could see him and spend time with him. Not fair to him, oh, not okay. fair to my wife, not fair to me. And and so that was the second component of it was seeing how me working these hours at this awesome company, it was affecting my family. And then finally, it just got to the point where I wasn't quite having mental breakdowns, but... It was showing in the quality of my work in the sense that I just, I couldn't get ahead. Brian Littleton had this fantastic motto, this strategy that we did on Fridays where we shut down at noon every Friday to quote, get off the wheel. So think of yourself as a hamster and you're on this Mm. wheel doing the grind all week. You can't move forward if you're on this wheel, just going around in a circle. So if you can't get forward, you have to get off that wheel to go forward. I couldn't get off that wheel. I was always on it and I was always just behind the wheel, actually, and just trying to always maintain my status quo. And I realized that it just, it wasn't conducive to to any sort of, to anyone's benefit whatsoever. It was a lot of self-realization. Also, my wife saw how I was doing. My coworkers saw it. And one of my mentors had the conversation with me of like, if you're not happy, if you can't see a future here, then is it worth exploring or are you and made me think back and and realize that or or reflect on myself is it a moment in time that you're stressed or is it an actual trajectory that you're going down that's going to be detrimental and having that perspective really made me realize that it was probably both I probably could have worked my way out of it and figured out a different way and take maybe taking a month off or something like that and, and come back refreshed and recharged but I also, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm very proud of that I learned in the Air Force was that no matter how much you know, you know nothing. And yeah. I wanted to expand upon that. I knew as much as I thought I could possibly know about ShareSale and that world of the ShareSale ecosystem, but I knew nothing else outside of the share of sale world. So uh, I wanted to learn something different. And uh, I'm glad I did because seeing everything that I've seen afterwards has made me realize that there's a whole world beyond what I knew, and that's not to say that the folks at ShareSell and Awin don't have that same perspective. But me personally, I saw only this small little blip, not realizing yeah. that I was just I was, it was just a small pixel in the 4K screen.
0: One thing that I always am reminded of: we've managed hundreds of programs. I've been doing this for 25 years. Every new client we get, there are new partners and new models that I've never heard of. I, th- I think. That's a really good way to walk through life is no matter how much you know, you know nothing. And you know, nothing it, it, being open to learn the next turn is super important. Now, your world was expanded quite a bit when you left and, and went to Rakuten. What was that like going to a publisher side?
1: I would imagine <laughs> that, was- that would
0: be even more mind blowing, a much greater shift from one network to another, from network to publisher.
1: Yes and no. It required, I want to say, it required more creativity in the sense that at platforms, the billing model, the pricing models are all just established. There's some flexibility, but the the principles are the same one way or another. On the publisher side, there's so many different ways that you can monetize content. And in, in one sense, it was not all that different from everything that I had been doing because The majority of my career has been working with brands and helping brands one way or another and and negotiating with brands or dealing with them or agencies or whatever it may be. Uh, And this was very similar in the sense that now as a publisher, I'm working with brands. I'm trying to get them as much exposure for their efforts as possible, but I'm also... Part of a business, and I know that we need to make money. So, trying to find the bit, the yeah. balance, the creative levers that are needed to, to actually monetize the the content and the site accordingly. It was a lot of fun. It took a little bit of creativity, but also there that the team where I was at, there are so many fantastic people working there. That it was fun. It was I was one of the few remote people, but they had a culture there that was so welcoming, so inviting, and there was you felt part of a team. So in that sense, it it was very similar, but the idea now of making sure that the brands I'm working with come back, meaning we Mm. set up the right pricing model, we get them the right exposure, we take the right strategies to get them the right exposure. And much like ShareASale, being honest with who we can and can't work with because we won't be able to help them partially because maybe there's lack of interest from our consumers onto the brand. Or maybe the website's bad, or whatever it may be. But having to be the person that makes that decision, that comes up with that idea, it was it does it definitely requires a different part of the brain. But it was so fun that it was almost easy because it was fun. It was of course it's any job, so there's still the grind, there's still the work, they're still getting all the KPIs met. But it was fun doing it. And I, I'm so glad I got to see this because not only did I learn a lot about the company that I was at and monetizing it, to your point, now just networking with folks from other publications and other partnership models, man, there are some cool things taking place, some very cool things taking place. And I think that one of them is in the media world and how that it actually opened up my eyes a lot, but how the media world is now coming into the affiliate space and publications are, major publications are relying on affiliate monetization strategies to drive their revenue forward. And I love seeing that happen. I think it's so cool.
0: Yeah. And that's been a really unique thing to see. I think COVID shortened the timeframe on a lot of evolution in a lot of areas And everyone had to adjust very quickly to what was going on. And so did those publishers. It's been welcome in a whole lot of ways because the advertisers, they want that type of affiliate. For a long time, if you gave them a report of affiliates, they wouldn't recognize a single name. Some of them were so goofy that they would be points of contention in meetings. And there can be such a downward view of the channel that... I was talking with Chute Humphreys this morning, and we've always been the redheaded stepchild is what he said. And so now to have publishers come in and to monetize it is a huge, a huge impact. It also raises the awareness of the channel, which I think ha- we've been wanting a seat at the table for 20 years, and that requires a different way to approach it. But this emergence From your perspective, because it started, I think, a little bit before your tenure there and then continued while you were there. Tell me, why is this, in your view, why is it important? Why is it important for the channel and for advertisers?
1: I think for advertisers, that's an easy thing to answer. Historically, like you said, the affiliate channel has had this perspective of being the ugly redheaded stepchild. And... Part of it was that the attribution typically fell or falls lower in the funnel. Not that's good or bad. It's just from a brand's perspective, their justification behind supporting uh, a lower funnel activity is, is complicated with publications that have millions upon millions of viewers. Any brand is going to be willing to want that. If they don't want that, then there's obviously something else going on in the business. But if I'm selling my, going back to the the used shoes business, any used shoe business is going to want to get on Huffington Post as like the best used shoe company or whatever it may be. Now, the question though becomes, why does Huffington Post want to be promoting used shoes? And that's the hard part. And maybe not Huffington Post. Obviously, no one's going to want to be, but whatever, you get the point. So the challenge, though, is why? And that's where a lot of PR companies are starting to come in and become really popular because they have the ability to pitch it and pitch it strong. But I'm seeing now there's a lot of dabbling from in the PR space from performance PR. And performance PR in my perspective is the same thing that we've all been doing is business development, finding the right publisher to promote the brand, but with in the higher tier of media publications and doing so that is the hybrid of earned media and paid media, but on a performance basis. And I think that is so fascinating. It is so exciting. And I think it's important because it takes the model of just read, click, sale, pay to something that is what I feel like this industry has been really wanting for, which is awareness of the brands, awareness of the product that leads to conversion instead of just the LOR realm, instead of just attributing the conversion to the affiliate partner. This is now bringing it way higher up in the funnel through... Reliable, trustworthy sources. And I think that's really fascinating. I also still think that we're in its infancy, believe it or not.
0: I agree with you because bringing the focus up the funnel is what I think the advertisers, the CMOs, ecom directors, VPs, that's what they've been wanting. And they viewed it as a lower funnel channel. What I've seen is the mistakes that are made when that happens is the focus wants to be on upper funnel but the alignment from corporate to the consumer essentially doesn't follow suit. So if you want to work with introducers, influencers, that top of the funnel, you can't commission. You shouldn't do the same things you would do for bottom of the funnel. Did you see a lot of that kind of pull and push while you were there?
1: Yes and no. So there were two facets to what we were doing, and and one was focusing lower in the funnel. The other, of course, was focusing higher in in funnel activity and more so on the awareness and education. There was always more value assigned to to activity higher up in the funnel. And I'm able to use that, and I was able to use that rather as a stepping stone. This is an important thing. We have this awareness, we have this value to you. Do you want this? Uh, and, and if you do, then by all means, we, we find a way to make it work. I'm torn on whether or not there's a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it. There's A lot of folks that are talking about, is probably most of the folks listening are aware, our industry default is last-click attribution. And then several years ago, the idea of multi-touch attribution got introduced. And now I'm hearing more and more folks talking about first-click attribution. And I understand the desire for that, but I think there's a lot of risk if it's not managed properly. And I think that's something that you guys at Jeb handle very well is finding the right partners and finding the right attribution model for them that makes sense for that specific partner. You're not doing it just based off of the channel as a whole for each brand. You're doing it in the right way.
0: Thank you for listening to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Hopefully you are finding this episode as intriguing as we have now, one of the things we are talking about a lot at JB Commerce is the merging of public relations and affiliate marketing. Maybe you've seen this happening. Maybe you're a PR agency trying to figure out what all this is and how you could take advantage of it. Well, if you're a brand, you're an affiliate, or you're a PR agency trying to figure out what this new world looks like, we've got a ton of content for you. You can go to jbcommerce.com/pr and. And there you'll find podcast episodes that walk us through this new change, as well as a ton of content talking about the technology that's available, what the similarities between pitching for PR and recruiting affiliates are, and really what you should be doing to take advantage of this exciting new change. So go to jbcommerce.com slash PR. And if you need any help deciphering and figuring out your next step, then please contact us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and we will jump on a call and walk you through the whole process. And then what we can do for PR agencies and brands to take advantage of this. We actually have a service level for each of you and we can help you track, acquire new customers, increase your reach and adapt to things very, very quickly. So check that out at PR and email us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com. Com. Now back to our episode. Literally a conversation that I just had this morning was that you, you can take a look at the top line and compare it against other channels, ROAS, revenue, cost, that sort of thing. But the problem that I think some CMOs grasp is there's an attribution within the channel as well as across channels because inside You have coupon sites, you have loyalty sites, you have browser extensions, you have content creators, you have mass media, you have influence. There's all these different things and all of them are wildly different. They're not aligned with each other. So why would you treat affiliate A who's generating solid content, sending you people who've never heard of you before, and that takes 12 months for them to convert? Why are you incentivizing them the same as someone who's coming in near the end? and putting you over the line so that has to change now did you guys do different things different commissioning talk to me a little bit more like if someone's listening and they're like man my ceo my bosses the powers that be want me in these things what's sort of the top line this is what you need to know to work with a mass media publisher
1: it's not cheap i think that's the the thing that comes to my mind first out of the gates but If it's done, it's still done on a performance basis. And I do think there's a hybrid where it might make sense to sometimes have an onboarding fee or an integration fee. Or uh, if there's editorial being written that is more commerce focused instead of editorial integrity that you might have to pay up front. And I think that's fine as long as there's a package that comes with it or something along those lines. But to someone who's watching who has to pitch the idea of getting into the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, whatever it may be. First off, be relentless. There are hundreds of thousands of brands who are all trying to get the attention of a handful of people at these publications. As large as the publications are, I'll just keep on using the Wall Street Journal and, and New York Times as an example here. There's still only a handful of people that are operating within the commerce and affiliate space. So if you have to think about all these hundreds of thousands of brands that all want exposure there because what brand again, what brand wouldn't. Even Nick's used shoes.biz and why,
0: how- <laughs> Hold on, I got to finish purchasing that. <laughs> yes, please
1: do. Org is available too. You have to find a way to stand out amongst all the noise because these publications are getting hundreds upon hundreds of new partners, new brands to be working with on a daily basis. So stand out. And how do you stand out? First off, share share upfront what you're willing to pay on a commission basis. Now. This kind of comes the double-edged sword because it, for, for whatever reason, it's frowned upon to give your number first. I, I never really yeah. understood that. I would just, it is what it is. Let's just do business. Um, yeah. But expect some pushback or expect some negotiation, whatever it may be, but offer that at first. But then also make sure that you're throwing in other important metrics about why the publisher should work with you. It aligns well with this article that you've already written. Here's a listicle that makes sense for you. Also, if your editorial team needs products to review these used shoes, then I can send them to, I can send you the product. I can give you an elevated CPA, I can give you a discount if that's the thing. And here's the articles where you're already writing about it, or you're writing about something that would complement it. Basically take the work of the employee at the publication. Make it easy for them. Here's the sign up link. Here's this. This automatically throws you into an elevated CPA. Just boom, make it super simple for them. So it's almost a, a no brainer for them. And then, not if, but when you don't hear back from them, just keep on hitting the pavement and keep on reaching out because it's important. If your product is important and your product aligns, sometimes it might just be a matter of timing. And if you don't have that right timing because you've reached out once that month or once that quarter, there's a lot of days in a month. and There's a lot of days in a quarter. and There's a lot of hours in each day where maybe you had that the one moment that that this person saw their email address or saw their email pop up with elevated CPA killer product, whatever it may be. And if you can do that, I think that's how you that's how you go to that CEO in your company and you say, "I got them now. Help me execute." But that to increase the CPA,
0: I I wrote this down as be relentless. You said that. And that brought to mind like a, a characteristic of maybe the best, the most successful people in our space is a very sales-oriented kind of mindset. There's also a service mindset in it. We a sure. lot of us want to help others be successful, but that that work ethic and the, the Tenaciousness, relentlessness that comes from being a really good and successful sales professional is so useful here. If you're an affiliate manager listening to this and you sent out a recruiting email two months ago, and that's the first and last time any of those people have heard from you, let this be your uh, smack to the side of the head that uh, you need to talk to them more. And yeah. a, a non-response is a no And you don't stop at the first one. You keep going. So I really like that. Be relentless. One of the things that we've always found working with mass media is you have the content and the commerce side. So talk to me a little bit about how they play. With some of these partners, we may have a great product. It aligns with them and everything, but they haven't actually written any editorial content on them. So there's no way we can work together. Is that pretty common? Do you see that changing? Is there still a push and pull between those two departments?
1: There's always a push and pull, especially it's more so of a push from the commerce team trying to find ways to influence the editorial team. And there is oftentimes very intentionally, and I I think there's a good reason for this, a a, a thick line, not even a thin line, a very thick line between the two teams uh, so that the sound and voice of the publication doesn't sound like it's been bought by a brand. The editors of the team are the the ones who are guiding the, the voice and the direction of the publication, and they need to have the editorial integrity to continue on with that. Now, there are, there are ways, though, to get creative. And if I'm on the commerce team, and I know that there's a brand that I want to be working with because they're going to make me a ton of money if we can get the exposure out there for them, then there are ways. There are ways, and, and maybe, I, I, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, I don't know, <laughs> but there are ways to influence the editorial team by just making friends with them and talking about some fantastic products that you're interested in and joining their Slack channels where they're at and chiming in about the best pillows that, that you have or maybe don't have and get their interest that way. So you're now taking a two-pronged approach to this where you, you're communicating with the brand, let's do this together. I can't control what they write about. Now, I can, however, plant little seeds along the way you can get your PR team to reach out to them and we can take this two-pronged approach to get them to write something. Now, the other thing that we can do too, or that publishers can do, if there is an editorial team that is not related to commerce at all, there oftentimes is an editorial team that is focused on commerce. And that's oftentimes where you get the, here's why these used shoes are the best shoes in the world. And top 10 reasons why these used shoes are going to be what you need for hiking and so on and so forth when you take that approach you can oftentimes use that as the springboard to get the attention of the editorial team so that's where that five thousand dollar upfront fee to have an article written for you might come in handy if there's a strategy behind it if it's just sign the check go and cpa that might work and and it might not work but if you can justify again guy know going back to your CEO that hey we have to do this uh, we have to, I, I need the five thousand dollars and increase CPA but here's why because I'm also reaching out to the editorial team I'm going to use this first though as the springboard once this is published because it's a lot easier if there's commerce content already created to then yeah, go yeah. to the editorial team and be like look we already wrote about this how easy would it be just to write about it a little bit more
0: and yeah. then you
1: can start getting that publication to start turning out more content for
0: you. Yeah, that's great. two things that reminded me of one of the things that we found successful is doing sort of a merging of pitching. So a PR pitch is much different than a, you can earn this much commission affiliate pitch, putting those two together has been really helpful. And then doing our due diligence, this goes for any type of affiliate, but we found it really helpful here is to go look at the site. Don't make the commerce team go to the content team or go search their damn site themselves. Go through the site. If there is content related to your product, your industry, then include that in the pitch. Hey, you guys have these seven fantastic articles. We would love to, to work with you. Elevated commission, CPA. And here's why your audience should be hearing about our products. And so merging those two kind of pitches. Would you agree that's also a good way to get over any obstacles and humps? Absolutely.
1: I, I, I think that, especially having just come from the publisher side, there's one affiliate manager, and I, I won't say their name, but they stand out <laughs> to me because it, it, it was that. It was, it, it was a combination of everything. And I had so much respect for them as individuals and as consultants and agencies because they were super annoying. They emailed me once a week. And... Each time though, it was something new about why this product is good. A new article about why, like that we had already created where we could easily plug this in. Each week I was getting a new email for the same product and each week was something a little bit different. We can give you an exclusive discount code here. You've already written about it here. It would be a great travel product here. Like just keep on going. And, And it was that relentless nature of that publisher or of that brand that got me to Finally, just submit. (laughs) Fine. I give in. Please stop bugging me.
0: I will do this for you. And that's what you want. And there's an aspect of, oh, God, please stop calling me. But the other part of that is they were making it easy for you to make a decision every single time. Every single time. And that's what I think as I'm training new affiliate managers you got to be service focused. You got to be thinking, how can I make this easy for them? I can't expect Nick to read every bit of content his company is putting out and tell me when something fits. But I sure as hell can right. watch that every single day, put up some Google alerts and be real proactive because usually, like the person we're working in commerce, there's a performance aspect to To their compensation. So they want something that's going to be successful. And if you can say, Hey, you guys already have this, this makes a lot of sense. And you're also doing that regularly and not hounding them with the same damn message over and over again, but actually providing some value there. So you could easily make a decision is super important.
1: Yeah, it was, I I, I, had, I was so impressed by that strategy. And I because you're right. It made it so easy each step. And it, of course, each email included the, the sign up link so that if I was ready that time, I could just click it and yeah. go. But it's a lot like web design, right? Where the fewest clicks to conversion is yeah. optimal.
0: So if you yeah. can
1: make this so easy that I'm an idiot to not sign up, then do it. Make it so easy.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it too. The person on the other side has to make a decision with every contact you send them and every idea they have to make a decision. And then to read it or to open the email, to read it, to act on it, make it so damn easy that you're removing 10 clicks from that right. and it's only two. And they only have to make that decision twice. And helping them do their job. If you if they bring in something that works, they're going to look better. They're going to earn more. Their company's going to earn more. It works. it works for everybody. So my last uh, question around this before we wrap this up is, what are some of the mistakes being made, especially on the advertiser side in dealing with mass media pups?
1: Boy, on, on the advertiser side, I think going back to that, not pursuing your, uh, your prey, if you will, and actually just like sitting on it and letting it go. But I think also knowing the audience of the publication is, if it's U.S. news, knowing what their demographics are. Knowing that the demographics, it's not the same users that are on Instagram. And it's not the same users who are reading about, it might be the same users who are reading about Retirement Guide and RetirementLiving.com and stuff like that. So knowing the product, knowing who you're reaching out to. But also, uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes is making, especially for large publications, this seems nitty gritty. I almost don't know if uh, I firmly believe this, but I think I do. The program agreement that you have is wildly important, obviously, to the rest of your program. Don't bid on this. The terms are this. These are the the nuances. But there's a legal team at that publication. And if it's a new partnership, that legal team has to review that program agreement. And they are bogged down because you're not the only one. There are, as we mentioned earlier, hundreds a day just on the commerce side. And that legal team likely isn't just dedicated to the commerce business. They're likely expanded beyond that, well beyond that. So don't think that you're Microsoft or Apple with a 90-page program agreement in terms of use and all that stuff. Just keep it simple. Get the important things out there and don't overcomplicate it. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one because any lawyer on the brand side is going to say, that we need to have these things in there, but it's your job as the brand representative to, to dial them back and say, there was one situation that I worked at somewhere at some point in time where the brand was, they sent me a contract and it was so nuanced that it basically said that if we do this, they could acquire the site.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Who's going to agree to that? No one, but no one ever, the thing is no one reads that. But that broke the deal. That killed the deal. So yeah, don't overcomplicate
0: You know, and that's, we are at time, but I do want to bring you back for a second episode and and talk about that hasn't been spoken to on our podcast yet. And especially with this group of publishers, they're not coming into it as they grew up and they made their first dollar in affiliate marketing and then they built their company. They're coming from hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, exposure around the world. And a legal team to make sure they're safe. So hopefully you're okay with that. I'd love to talk about that a little bit more, but I always enjoy chatting with you. In fact, I was in Vegas with my kids and we walked back past a place that you and I always had oh, no. breakfast at and I had to tell them who uncle Nick is and share with them some stories that I was able to share. But it's always great <laughs> to chat with you. You're, you gave a lot of really good stuff. We only got to like half of the questions that I had, but I anticipated Sorry. anyway, but we'll do another one if you're up for it. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, they want to talk about, talk about this or work with you. What's the best way to do that?
1: Probably LinkedIn. I'm very easy to connect with on LinkedIn. I don't know. Maybe I'm not actually because I don't know if I'm Nick Marchese or Nicholas Marchese. On you LinkedIn, are Nick. But I, I found that out today because I couldn't find you. <laughs> so much for me being easy to find on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. I had to just type in Marchese and then uh, make sure I didn't pick your brother.
1: Oh, that's, that's also a valid point, too. But he's also a fantastic resource to tap into, too. If you reach out to him or you reach out to me, you'll end up with me one way or another. So awesome. anyone with the last name of Marchese and you'll find us. That's a, a good rule of thumb.
0: We'll include a link to your LinkedIn so people don't have to search. Uh, it shouldn't be. It's not that hard of a name. And do you want to talk about your web app that you're working on? You want to share that at all?
1: Yeah, betterlakes.com. So this is I, you know a quick background on this. I was on a vacation, we rented a lake house a couple of years ago, or several years ago at this point in time, and I grew up on, not on, but I, I grew up going to a, a local lake and water skiing, wakeboarding, tubing, just all the fun stuff that you do on a lake every summer. My mom was water skiing with me in the womb, basically, and I did that my entire life every summer. We always went to the same lake. It was, it's a wonderful lake called Lake Holiday in Sandwich, Illinois. And there's a crew that takes care of the water, makes sure there's no major logs floating around, but which keeps the skier safe, oh, wow. so keeps the boat safe. And it's hard to leave that because you know what you're getting into. You know that everywhere you go on yeah. the lake, you're safe. We rented a lake house several years ago outside of Lake Holiday and on the website, we just did it through like Airbnb or something like that. Pictures of the lake looked fantastic. The house was beautiful. The host was fantastic. The vacation itself all around was a win. It was a good time. Uh, we rented a boat, which I think was a big part of wanting to, to create better lakes, was to help people have a better lake experience. And thinking about all the things that we went through on that vacation and just boating and lake life in, in general. Um, and so we rented a, a pontoon boat. And we go out for our inaugural uh, midnight rides. And maybe on the 20th lap around this dinky little lake, uh, I'm like, God. I need to find a better lake. (laughs) There's gotta be a better lake out there. And there's gotta be a way to find that better lake. Because if you do a Google search for lakes near me, you get lakes, but you don't get any feedback on the lakes. You don't know if there's a sandbar in the middle. You don't know if there, you have to proactively search to see if there's a restaurant on the water, things like that. And so right then at like two o'clock in the morning on this pontoon boat, my father-in-law was like, it's two in the morning. He's an older man. So he was like snoozing in the in the front of the Pantumbo. I just pulled up my phone. I went to GoDaddy.com and I'm like, lakes.com. Oh my God, it's available. Yes. It's available. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought it and sat on it for a couple of years. Didn't really know how to do it or what to do with it. And then finally, actually, as I got laid off from Rakuten, the moment struck and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to do this and and better lakes is now a functioning website it still uh, has a lot of work to go uh, a lot of user feedback visit it submit a lake review a lake give me your pictures tell me all the information jamie i've seen you submit about 20 lakes so far so thank you <laughs>
0: it's on <No>. my plan <laughs> <laughs> i was just 20. thinking how yeah i was like maybe one i also rented a pontoon boat this summer and I do have the website. I'm looking right at it. And I, I will be submitting later today my I, information I will be watching Lake Court Yeah,
1: I'm going to be finding, I'm going to pull up my hot jar and watch you do it.
0: <laughs> it's not going to be right away. <laughs> I no. got to do the intro, and the outro on this episode. Can we do a shared screen really quickly while you go ahead and do that? Yeah, that's You know what? Our listeners do not want to listen to me type <laughs> a <laughs> review for my like. Be- I will give it. I actually have two lakes. I'll get those in there. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much. Everyone, definitely check the show notes to connect with Nick. He's an amazing resource. You heard that today and definitely go check out Better Lakes if you're looking for a better lake and just connect with him. He's got years and years of experience and exposure that not many people do across our industry. So Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. It was uh, As always, it's a good time connecting with you. Uh, even more so when, when we get to talk about used shoes. and That's true. Uh, a uh, used shoes.biz.
0: Nick's dot used biz. shoes.biz. Yeah. And dot .org. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> well, first off, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a great time when you and I hang out and always fun. And today was no different. You know, there was a lot in today's episode that I wanna bring out for you. And hopefully you stayed with us. I think the biggest thing from this is be relentless. Now, Nick will say, and he said on this podcast, he's not an amazing salesperson, I I really disagree. I've always experienced him as as one of the best in that field in our industry. And that concept of be relentless. This is a really good episode for like, if you wanna be a really good affiliate manager, frankly, if you wanna be really good at anything, This is a good episode, that be relentless, that weekly contact. And like I said in in this earlier, if you're an affiliate manager and you reached out to an affiliate a month ago, and that's the only time you reached out and you don't think you need to reach out 10 more times, let this be your wake-up call. What we do is about building relationships. And so much of what we do is exactly what sales professionals do. You got to come to it with a service mindset. And you have to be relentless with what you're doing. I was having a conversation with a young entrepreneur and they wanted to know, how do you get successful? So been running J.E.B. for almost be 19 years and two months, and I have one other successful business. And he asked what that difference is. And Nick really summed what my answer up was, be, be relentless, tenacity, perseverance, like you just can't stop. Don't take no for an answer and keep contacting these publishers. Keep moving forward. Like don't ever stop. Keep moving forward. You know, Nick was specifically talking to mass media publishers, but it really goes that that philosophy goes everywhere. Contact these individuals, but be service minded. So how can you make their job easier? If you want to get into mass media publishers, you want to get into any publisher. You're going to have to be relentless and you're going to have to do a bunch of the legwork. Don't expect your publisher to hear about you and go, oh, you could fit on this page and this thing and this thing and this piece of content and that piece of content. Do the work for them. Put yourself in their shoes. They're fielding, like Nick said, hundreds of requests a day at a mass media publisher. And most affiliates would say they're doing the same thing. Hundreds of requests a day. The ones that stand out are clear. They have everything that they need to make a decision. And when the person on the other end of that feels like you put time in to make their job easier and make them more successful, you're going to be successful. So make sure you do that. We talked about merging a PR pitch with an affiliate pitch, but some of the other things that I, I wrote down here on my notes, the mistakes that people are making, these are really good ideas for your affiliate manager. Know your audience, know their audience. If you want to work with U.S. News and World Report or a HuffPo or Hearst, know the audiences. The worst thing you can do is send a request and it be the wrong site. They have no audience for you. It's not the audiences aren't aligned. Not only is are you not going to get a callback from them, but that person, when they move on to their next position, they're going to remember that. Another major mistake is not being relentless and giving up too easily. And then we have not talked about this on this podcast, but the agreements, if you want to work with a mass media publishers specifically, and this kind of goes for everybody too, but really with them, they're bringing a legal team into that conversation. Your legal team needs to know that. Your agreement needs to protect you for a lot of things, but you can write a separate agreement for those publishers that is clear, concise, and brief. It covers what they need covered, but is very easy for the attorneys to review, mark up, and get back to you. That also speaks to if you need to get mass media publishers in Q4, you should have started last year, Q1. Sometimes these take a lot of time. They have thousands, hundreds, thousands of agreements to get through every year. Yours is one of many. So make sure it's easy. But also, this is the long game. You have to always be building these relationships Anyway. This was a phenomenal conversation. I hope you listened. I hope you're still hanging out with us here at the end. If you did find this useful, maybe you know someone who's working through these issues right now. Well, send this episode right to them. You can send them from the webpage. You can share it from any of your podcasts. Also share it on all your socials, Facebook X, LinkedIn, whatever platform you use, share this episode with your friends and followers on those mediums as well. And one of the best ways to help us get the word out is on your podcast player of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or or any other, give us a five-star review. Let the world know what you thought of our episode, what you think of our podcast, that really helps. Now, we are still looking for a few more guests for season three and even kind of talking about what season four is uh, going to look like. So if you want to be a guest or you know someone who should, email us at gethelp at and we will get them in the queue. Well, thank you so much for listening and leaving your review and, and spending some time with us. I know time is really valuable, but we appreciate you being here.